0: Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times, or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com.
1: Foundation Church, or what we used to know as Antelope Road, (laughs) has a real special place in our hearts. Um, 15 years ago, um, This was the first church we visited as we began to raise support to go back out to to Asia. And you guys welcomed us in, and I think maybe the congregation has turned over a few times since then, Um, but we've always really, really loved coming back to this church, to this congregation, uh, because of that connection. Um, And before we get started, I'd like to take a picture of you all. So, on the count of three, would everybody raise your hand and wave at me? <laughs> we always show people, in, in, we always show you guys, people from out, overseas, we like to show over, people from overseas what a congregation here in the States looks like. And, um, they're a little bit fascinated because you're sitting on chairs. Um, (laughs) It doesn't always happen, (laughs) and that's fine. So, uh, Don and Carolyn Armstrong, um, we have been in missions now for about 30 years, and we are in Tanzania, East Africa for 16 of those, and then four years after that, we went to Boise, Idaho, which is kind of a mission field too. And then we are called and asked to take this position in Asia-Pacific as a regional coordinator. And so we've been doing that for the last 13 years. <clears throat> Love it. We, 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 we really, really enjoy working with the people that we work with in Asia. That's country leaders as well as missionaries. And I think you support a couple of the people that we work with. Yeah. So anyway, uh, before we show pictures and everything, we want to kind of spiritualize it. Is that okay? (laughs) And and we want to use this from the book of Psalms 52. Okay,
2: Okay, this is Psalms 52, and this is uh, written by David during a time in his life when he had just been betrayed by uh, someone he thought was a friend, and it just started a whole lot of trouble rolling. Um, So this is Psalms 52, and he's writing about a fellow named Doag who had betrayed him. Why do you boast about your crimes, great warrior? Don't you realize God's justice continues forever? All day long you plot destruction. Your tongue cuts like a sharp razor. You're an expert at telling lies. You love evil more than good and lies more than truth. You love to destroy others with your words, you liar. But God will strike you down once and for all. He will pull you from your home. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see it and be amazed. They will laugh and say, Look what happens to mighty warriors who do not trust in God. They trust their wealth instead and grow more and more bold in their wickedness. Okay, here comes the contrast. David says, But I am like an olive tree thriving in the house of God. I will always trust in God's unfailing love. I will praise you forever, O oh God, for what you have done. I will trust in your good name in the presence of your faithful people.
1: Carolyn alluded to a backstory on this Psalm and it takes place in 1 Samuel 21, I believe. Uh, yeah, yeah, first, yeah for, Anyway, um, I think we're all familiar if we went to Sunday school, the story of David and his friend Jonathan, who was the son of the King Saul and with the arrows and whether you should stay or you should flee because my dad's really mad at you and wants to kill you. Well, after that happened and David had to flee because Samuel or Saul, King Saul wanted to kill him. Uh, he was mad at him. He was jealous uh, of a number of different reasons. So anyway, David flees. And he has nothing on him except his tunic and whatever was with him that day. And he he flees to a small town somewhere, I'm not sure where it is in Palestine, but it's called Nob. And there is a priest there, there's a temple there, and the priest's name is Amalek. And when he sees David coming, the scripture says he trembles because something's not right. He doesn't have his mighty men around him. He's alone, he's unarmed, and he's asking the priest, do you have any food? do you have any weapons here? I'm I'm in a bad place right now. And David actually lies to the priest and says, well, my men are coming later and we had to leave quickly. And so, you know, can you help me out? And so the priest reluctantly gives him the sacrament bread that has not been used the day before for David to eat. And then he gives to him Goliath's sword that had been kept there after David defeated Goliath. So David takes these things and he takes off to the hill country to meet up with his men. And there was a servant in the background watching this. His name is Doag. He was actually a friend of David. And Doag saw the whole thing going on. And then there was a proclamation put out by King Saul saying, if anybody knows where David is, tell me because I need to do something with him. And so it gets word back to him that... Amalek has entertained David in his uh, home. And so Amalek is summoned to the palace and he's interrogated by Saul. And Saul asks him what happened. He tells him what happened and he said, well, because you helped him, you're going to die. And along with that, all your priests that have come with you are going to die. And none none of the guards around Saul were willing to do that. This is a holy man. But Doag was willing to do it and he killed Amalek and he killed 80 some priests. And then he went back to the village of Nob and killed everybody else there. Pretty rough guy. Um, But anyway, when word gets to David of what has happened because of his visit to Amalek, he is no doubt distressed because it was his actions that brought about the death of all these men, all these people in this town of Nob and that's the, that's the the background behind psalms 52 that's why he says what he does say about this fr- this former friend of his doag um, but david is trusting god as as he is running as he is trying fighting for his life trying to find a place to hide He's not looking at what he can do. He's not looking at what friends can do. He's not looking at what anybody else can do for him. He's first looking to what God can do for him. And he looks at the situation around him, and he believes he believes that God can change it. And if there ever was a situation that looked pretty hopeless for somebody, it was that one. You've got the king's army out looking for you to kill you. Pretty, you know, Palestine's not that big of a place. Um, But he believes God will also strike back at Doag, And he believes that God will uproot him from the land of the living, which means his entire family, his entire history is going to be erased from memory, which is a pretty terrible thing in that time and even today. And sometimes it's really hard to look at our problems and believe that God is going to take care of them. It's pretty hard to rely upon God when things are stacked up against us. Um, but in the Psalm, David is not discouraged. He's not focusing on the danger around him. He's focusing on God.
2: I like the, the, this Psalm when it kind of takes that turn and we see David's confidence in God. David understands that the current situation can be changed. He believes it will be changed. Um, this, is, this is such a good example for us, especially on those days when things are going on and we don't feel like we have any control and we don't see how how they're going to get any better. But that's when we need to focus on God, not the circumstances, and, and see it like David does. God can change this. David believed it. We need to believe that too. Um, so, as you know, we work with the Church of God in Asia and the Pacific. It's, it's a large territory, um, and there's a lot of things that we can tell you, uh, stories from, from that region over the last few years. We've chosen just a few, and we want to show those to you as examples of people who look at a situation around them that isn't good and believe that God can change it. Okay.
1: So, we want to go to the country of India, uh, which now has the largest population on Earth today. It has surpassed China. And India is a fairly large country, but not nearly as large as China, but it's got over 1.4 billion people. We have had work there since um, 1896, something like that there. The Church of God has been present in India for a good long time. And I visited there last October Uh, I was asked to come and help and participate in an ordination service for nine men that were going to be ordained at a service and they asked me to come and participate in it. India right now, India was set up as a a democracy or a republic, no, a democracy, pretty much like we have in the States, where you have freedom of religion, uh, you have a lot of freedoms that are enshrined in their constitution similar to ours. Over the last 15 years, Uh, the Hindu nationalists have taken over the government, their BJP party has taken uh, control of of a lot of different elements of society. And one of the things they're trying to stamp out is anything that's non-Hindu. And so if you're a Christian, if you're a Muslim, if you're a Jain, if you're a Sikh, they are literally forcing you back into Hinduism as best they can. So For the last 10-15 years this is what people christians in india have been living with slowly but surely they they used to celebrate christmas in india a two-day celebration day they totally took that away they used to celebrate easter they took that away um we have a a shelter for girls in katak india and it used to be where we could bring girls who were being possibly put into bad situations early in age and brought and taken care of. We had to close that down and then reopen it as a hostel, just so that the girls could continue to stay in it and attend school. It was closed down because the government wanted to bring their girls, their their Hindu girls or their Muslim girls to us as well, and not give us any say in who we could actually accept. And so, piece by piece, they are slowly tearing down, uh, the freedoms that uh, many minorities had in India. So, like I said, last October I went and visited. This was the first chance I got into India since the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, Jeremy, if you wanna hit that first piece, this is some video from the city of Kattak. And Kattak is an, a very old, old city that has a, a large Hindu population and a lot of Hindu of vill- uh, temples and when i was there they were they were celebrating a lot of festivals celebrating this is like las vegas (laughs) so this opens with me riding through the city at night uh, with everything lit up because of the uh, hindu celebrations this is our our church building here they're rebuilding it making it bigger these are some of our older leaders in the church there Um, And these men on white, on the left, are the uh, nine men that have taken, that were taking ordination. This is the shelter. used to be called an orphanage, now it's just a hostel. This is the building they live in. And these... Thank you. Okay, that was a very short clip, but to stand up and take ordination in that environment It takes a lot of nerve (laughs) because um, I didn't realize it at the time, me coming there, visiting, I was invited, participating, I was being followed. They wanted to know why this missionary was coming to them and then what was I going to do while I was there. After I left, they actually came and visited the leaders and asked, you know, what did he do? What did you guys do? What was going on here? So. They open themselves up to, to a lot of questioning when they have visitors from the West. Um, the girls' home that you saw there; those are the girls that have been that have been cared for. That's been an operation for nearly 110 years. Uh, it's full. There's 85, 90 girls in in that home, and uh, they continue to receive a number of uh, services that they wouldn't have received if they had stayed home. And and COVID was really a difficult time for them because we had to send them all to relatives' homes somewhere, someplace, and uh, some did not fare too well. But, Carolyn? Do
2: you wanna talk about the start of the girls' home? No. No, no? you sure? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I just wanted to say in light of, of looking at a bad situation and wanting to change it, the shelter girls' home was started by a woman named E. Faith Stewart courageous woman at the time, and the shelter began with her and some assistants um, stealing children in the dead of night from the Hindu temples, that these, these children were, were dropped off there and were being raised in the temples and, and used for, um, for bad things, but uh, this lady looked at the situation and said, God can change that, and she did, and, and we still are even today. Raising these girls, introducing them to Jesus. Okay, uh, the next uh, clip I want to show you, um, it comes from Bangladesh, and I want to tell you a couple things first. Is that we have work there in the? Let's stop that for just a minute. Is that? Ah, yeah. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Well, let's. Let me tell you about this. In Bangladesh, we have uh, we have two different different works going on. This one comes from the north. Eastern part of the country and the people that are there that we're working with they're they're a tribal group They're called the Kasi people and they used to be from India um, But they kind of migrated down and were working in the tea fields and doing some different things and then uh, wars were fought and Independence given and borders redrawn and now it's Bangladesh Although these people are from India, so they do not receive the services that a natural Bangladeshi would so they live on the fringes, they live on the margins. It's really hard for them um, to, to, to exist there. They tend to live up in the mountains, in the jungles where nobody else is willing to live. And they're not exactly legal citizens and they just do what they can. They grow uh, betel nut in the jungles, they harvest the leaves and they sell those um, on the market and that's how they survive. But life up on these, um, up on these mountains is hard. Um, in this area, we've uh, just recent—well, not recently, but in about 2014—a uh, uh, a woman took over the Church of God leadership there in that part of the world. Her name is Lovely, and she she's a dynamite. She's really good, but she really began to to work with these people up on, up in the mountains and saw their plight. And in about 2018, 2019 the government actually put electricity up into the up into the mountain and that's when lovely said electricity maybe we can get water to these people and she began talking to us and so we kind of priced out what it would take to to drill a well and to and to buy pumps and get it you know up to where the people are so that they could actually have water 'Cause the way it was now, it was the women, of course, that were walking every day down the mountain, you know, to, to find water that hadn't done uh, sometimes, sometimes of the year it wasn't so hard, sometimes of the year that's really hard. And so we began working with her and uh, developed a well project, talked about it in churches, raised the money, and then we went back to lovely and says we've got enough money to do seven of these. And she has completed six. Uh, it went real slow during COVID. A lot of um, everything was slowed down during that time. But we've got six done and and one underway. And last week, our first chance to get in after COVID to see uh, what had been done. And so these are the pictures that I want you to see up up in this village up on the mountain. If we if we've found that. Yeah. There we go. Okay. So that went fast. (laughs) Okay. So that's not playing very well. Well, let me just tell you, this this is way, way, way up a mountain. They they carve steps into the mountain so that we can get up there. And those are the water tanks that are now holding the water. And so the people of the village can come to the tanks and get water and take it back home. Um, So what they used to do, this is a picture of how they used to get the water. They would carry it on their backs. They'd walk way down. You can see that the one with the water is barefoot. That gives you better traction. As you're climbing up and you know slippery leaves and whatnot, that's lovely. In the blue, she's our leader. This is another one of our church leaders, and we had a bit of a bit of a ceremony there outside these water tanks, just just thanking God for what He did, thanking Lovely for her vision to to get water up into this village, and we had we even had some Muslim men from the, from from the village come and say to us. Thank you. This is life-changing. We um, are just amazed that the church would do something like this for all of us here on the mountain. And we had older women, like with tears in their eyes, just saying, you've changed my life. It's gotten so hard to get down there and get the water and get back up. And now the water is right there. And you know, that's just an example of people who saw what was, thought that it could be changed, and, uh, and, and together with God, changed it.
1: So we've been in India, Bangladesh, wanna go to Pakistan. Now all three of these countries at one time were called India, up until about 80 years ago. And then in 1947, the British decided to to pull out of their colony India, and they divided it into three countries, or two countries. They divided it into India, and then East and West Pakistan. And then in 1971, East Pakistan decided they no longer wanted to be part of Pakistan. They had a they had a minor revolution, not minor. A lot of people died, and now they're called Bangladesh. And now we have just Pakistan. And so we let's hold up just a minute. Yeah, we can just stay there. So in nineteen or two thousand fourteen, um, Carolyn and I had the opportunity to. Uh, at the invitation of a church group there entitled Philadelphia Pentecostal Church of Pakistan to come and visit with them because they were interested in joining in fellowship with us. They were affiliated with a mission organization out of Sweden. And the Swedes, good people, good mission organization, uh, but their church population was dwindling. They, and they were quite frankly, no longer interested in evangelism as part of missions. They wanted to do more social work. This church wanted to do more evangelism. And so they decided to separate. We were asked if we would come and meet with them. We did in 2014. And um, now I know a lot of y'all aren't Church of God here, but in the Church of God, we kind of shun that word Pentecostal. Um, We just think that's right up there with... uh, that, that's just not, not where we would go, and um, I, I had some reservations as well, but in meeting with them, I found a group of people, or Carolyn and I found a group of people that truly loved the Lord. They learned, they, they used the word Pentecostal in the sense that they were hearkening back to the first century church, and not just speaking in tongues, but also manifestation of, of all the scriptural gifts and uh, my 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 biggest question to them was is your salvation dependent upon you speaking in tongues and they said oh no 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 uh-uh, man. that's that's not that's, that shows that you have the spirit but you're not you can't you can be saved long before that that solved that for me that was the key piece and so over the last uh, 9 years we have been in and out of Pakistan probably 10 times And we have found ways to help this church, and the church is a very traditional. It would look like something out of the 1950s. It's very each each congregation is quite large. It's very intergener multi generational. You'll have the the little kids, and you'll have the the older people. You have a good balance of men and women, young people, young adults, and the reason is because the church is the social center for most, for most Christians. This is where they have community, this is where they come together, because outside in their homes and in, in their neighborhoods that they live in, if they go outside those neighborhoods, it's, it's very difficult to live. It's very difficult to go to a public school. You're bullied if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian girl, you're bullied even harder. To get a job is difficult because you usually don't have the education that you should have had. And so you're looked down upon as a second-class citizen. In fact, in a court of law, it takes two Christians to equal one Muslim's testimony. So they are, they are second-class citizens, so are the Hindus. If you're not Muslim, you are, you are a second-class citizen. And so the church continues to thrive the church continues to grow. And it has been our pleasure to work with them over the last couple of years. Uh, Principally, or where we started was we saw the need for education. And the Church of God has been big in education for a number of years. And so, as we visited churches and as we looked at the church sites, we noticed a lot of rooms. We asked what these were for because the rooms were full of dust and old furniture and there was always a chalkboard on one, one wall. And we said, well, we used to have church schools. We used to educate our, our kids here in these classrooms because they didn't, the parents did not want to send their kids to, to public schools. And so we did a lot of education here, but we've had to turn them, we've had to close it down because um, the money that the Swedes were helping us with, we misused it. And they did, and so the Swedes pulled out on it, and we, they said, we know what we did wrong. Can you help us get this restarted? And I said, well, we could probably find some money to get these classrooms cleaned up, but you're going to have to find the teachers, and you're going to have to find, of course, the students, and they did. And so um, I'm going to show you some, some video of what that looks like.
2: I just Before he does that, I just want to say one thing about our first trip to Pakistan. I'll just do this real quick. This happened back in 2014, and there had been a couple that were accused under the blasphemy laws, where you don't need a lot of... Pr- proof um, saying that these people had burned a Quran which wasn't true their their father had died they were they were cleaning out his house and just burning some things and uh, this was a christian couple and they didn't have a Quran but somebody said oh they were burning the Quran so they were grabbed by a mob and ended up being put into a brick kiln alive and burned and uh, that, that Voice of the martyr spread that story, the world was in a bit of an uproar, and this is the week that we went to Pakistan for the first time. And we landed in Karachi at the airport, and we and we were met by seven pastors, and they formed a circle around us and said, let's pray, and I'm like, ooh. And they had quite a loud prayer right there in the airport, and I was really nervous. And afterwards, I, I talked to one of the pastors, and I said, is that a little dangerous to kind of do that in public? And he says, you know, if they're gonna oppress us, we're going to give them reason. These are the people we're working with in Pakistan. They're really brave, but they but they understand God and the power of God, and they're not going to let what the government's doing silence them.
1: Go ahead, Jeremy. So this is their main church compound in Karachi. And uh, this was built by the Swedes. Uh, participated in a baptism service last August when I was there on the compound. The Church of God has a program called CBH, It's called and it used to stand for Christian Brotherhood Hour. It was put out over the radio, and now we do it over Facebook. This young lady here, Razia, she is our Urdu speaking CBH speaker, and she interviews uh, Christian leaders. It's uh, filmed edited and then put put up on Facebook. They have about 60 65,000 followers for that. Food is a big deal. <laughs> it's really good food. Um, me trying to preach there last summer. Um, this is Samuel George. Uh, Jim Lyon there behind him. He visited with us last August. And... Uh, a a place that Jim had been wanting to go for a long time. Jim Lyon is our general director for the Church of God. He was up at uh, Diamond Arrow this last week. Uh, But that's what a crowd looks like in their church services. They also have a Bible school. It's called George Theological School. And I've participated in a couple of their graduations. I've taught online with them. We have a new missionary couple that is raising funds to go out and he will be one of the teachers in that school as well as his wife who will be working with the children and uh, continuing to set up classrooms in churches. And so uh, that's one of our biggest prayer requests is for, uh, their name is the Browns, they're from Nampa, Idaho. One of our biggest prayer requests is to get them on the field as soon as possible.
2: You know, it's really remarkable in a country like Pakistan, which is about 98% Islamic, that you have men and women attending a Bible school, that you have pastors being ordained, that you're having baptisms, because to be a Christian in Pakistan is really difficult, and it does make you a target. And when things happen to you, and they do, um, you have no recourse. You can't go to the police, you can't, you can't go anywhere that will, will help you except the church. It's a, it's a difficult place for ministry. But these are courageous people who, who understand the power of God and who are standing strong like an olive tree. <laughs> okay, um, so these are just examples of situations around Asia where the situations are, are not ideal and yet the people understand that the situation doesn't have to stay that way. And they get in and they get involved and, and through the power of God, things change because they believe that God changes things. And we've seen now in India and Bangladesh and Pakistan, and, and I just wish I could tell you about all of our 23 countries and the things that God is doing in each of them. They're all um, impressive. Um, but I want to talk now just a little bit about what does Psalms 52 say to us today? Remember that when David wrote this, he was in a lot of danger. He was surrounded by enemies. He was being hunted by the entire army of Israel. He had a ragged band of guys, but he had no resources, and things just just weren't looking at all good. But this is what David says in verse 8, I am like an olive tree thriving in the house of God. Why is David thriving, and why does he compare himself to an olive tree? So I did some reading and this is what I learned. Olive trees grow really well in hot, dry places and even in really rocky soil, they do just fine. They stand tall and green year round. And this is because olive trees have really deep roots. They send a root down past the dry soil into the damp soil but the roots don't stop there, they keep going until they reach actual underground artesian water. That's when an olive tree stops putting the roots down. They go until they find that water. Um, And that's why olive trees are always green. And this is why they can grow to be very old. Uh, Most olive trees live about 600 years, although there's one in Greece today that's over 2,000 years and still bears olives. They can also be very tall. Generally, olive trees are pruned so that you can harvest them better. But if left uh, unpruned, they can be, you know, 40 feet tall. And it's because of that root and where it goes and, and where, it, where, it's, uh, where it finds its source. Another interesting fact about olive trees is that during the time of David, the way you harvested olives was to take long sticks and just beat the tree until the olives fall. And so the trees they are strong enough to survive this year after year. They're, they're just thrashed, but they continue to stand tall and strong and green. David is telling us that he is like an olive tree. He's rooted deeply in God and he will survive. As the enemies hunt him and try to kill him, David will remain strong and unharmed, thriving in the house of God. He knows that he is loved with an unfailing love and he's going to tell the story of God's faithfulness to all the people, praising God for all that he has done. And we can be like David. We can be strong in the presence of trouble. We can be strong in the presence of impending disaster, um, in tragedy, in in sadness, all these things that, you know, just life, life happens and it isn't always pretty because the world is broken. But David is saying, be like an olive tree, stand strong, put your roots in God, and be tall and strong and green year-round. It's important where we put our roots. We need to know the teachings of Jesus. We need to know the power of the Holy Spirit. When our roots are deep in God, there's nothing that can shake us, although the world gives us lots of other options about where we should put our roots. They tell us um, that we we should be chasing money, putting our roots in that. That's where we'll find security. That's where we'll find happiness or about our relationships. The world tells us that if we have the right relationships, you know, powerful people, uh, we'll be safe, we'll be happy. Um, yeah, having the right job, having, having the status and the cachet that comes with that. Chase those things. Go to the right school, get the right job, and then you'll be, you'll be strong, you'll be happy. But those things don't last. David knows that the only safe place to put your roots is in the love of our unfailing and our faithful God. Through him we are strong. And we need to be like David, that when we're surrounded by problems, we need to be able to say, I am like an olive tree thriving in the house of God. I have one more piece of video I want to show you. This is also from Pakistan. There's a woman there, her name is Sheba Urim, and we've become friends. She's not Church of God, but she is a believer. And Jim Lyon has given us his blessing to work uh, with wherever God is working, not necessarily Church of God. So we've come alongside Sheba. She's long had a dream to have a Christian school in Pakistan. In Pakistan, kids are required to memorize the Quran, recite the Quran. And um, you know, base everything on the Quran, and and then as Don was saying, for Christian kids, it's it's really miserable. And by and large, Christian families don't send their kids to school, which is why she has wanted to start a school. And so we came alongside her and we helped, and uh, she opened a school, and it's called uh, she calls it House of Success. And we started with just eight students. Today there are about 160. Yeah. You know, she looked around her, saw what was, and felt like God could change that. And so she jumped in and she got involved, and we helped and and helped her uh, reach reach that point where she, the school was actually uh, self-sustaining, which was which was our goal, and we reached it. And then COVID came, and the parents lost jobs and couldn't pay the fees, but we didn't want to. Turn the kids away and so we were op- operating at a deficit for about two years and so we were, were helping again a little bit with the school, but it's a marvelous place. And it's teaching kids um, th- th- you know the basics for school. She's using a curriculum called ACE, Accelerated Christian Education where you go at your own pace, you you do the, you do the courses, you, you take the test and then you go on to the next level. and it's working really well. And uh, this is in Islamabad, Pakistan. And I want you to see a little bit about what this looks like. They're behind these walls, trying to kind of not let the neighborhood know exactly what they're doing. That is Sheba. And this is one of the classrooms. The the kids all have their individual desks, individual cubby holes, and they work at their own pace on the different lessons. Yeah, they start uh, with chapel every morning. They, they sing Christian songs. They are, every month, emphasizing the, the Christian faith. And they do scripture instead of Very Sheba believed that God could change the situation for her city in Islamabad. Sheba's roots are in God. She's standing strong like an olive tree in an Islamic country that uh, really does not want her to do what she's doing. But Sheba is thriving. She's standing strong. She knows that, uh, that God wants this and she's willing to work with him in a place in an Islamic country. Sheba is strong. And we can be, too. It all depends on where we put our roots. We put our roots in God, in our faithful, faithful God who loves us and who has all the power and all the control. That's where we put our roots, not the different things the world is holding out to us as the things that are going to make us happy. We put our roots in God. We can be like David, standing tall and strong in the face of trouble and saying, I am thriving in the house of my God. And I'm going to tell his story wherever I go. Amen.
3: Elders and their wives, would you guys come forward? We're going to lay hands on the Armstrongs. We're going to ask for the Browns to be fully funded. We're going to ask for the Armstrongs to be blessed. Anybody else who would like to come, please come as well. We're going to pass the mic amongst the elders and their wives, whoever would like to bless God here with the Armstrongs. I know some of you guys will jump in. You guys are just fine. Father, we thank you that you know every need of the Armstrongs and that it is your joy to meet those needs. God, we know that as is right for believers, they have far more desires for the people they're trying to serve than they have for themselves. And we praise you for that. But we ask you also to take care of them. As they lead leaders, as they shepherd shepherds, as they take care of and train missionaries, God bless them. Remind them daily of your goodness and your presence with them when ministry is hard. God, we ask you to fully fund the Brown family and get them exactly what they need. God, give the Browns all of the faith that they're going to need for the journey. Oh, Lord Jesus, teach us how to pray for our missionaries. Teach us how to pray.
1: Father, I just really want to thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing through the Armstrongs and through the churches they work with, where it's not their work, it's you working through them. We want to thank you for their willingness to be sent abroad and to obey the great commission that you've given to us to go into all the world, and they definitely are doing that. So we just pray you continue to bless them, bless the work they're doing, and let them be your instruments continue as they have been. And thank you, Lord.
0: we're grateful that you are bigger than our fears we're grateful that you are bigger than our circumstances and God we thank you that you are are bigger than um, all of the dark places in this world I thank you God for the Armstrong's and for their big faith and for their willingness to trust you and go out into some pretty dark spaces and hard circumstances and God, that even on the hard days, you can comfort them, you can lead them beside still waters, and you can nourish them, Lord God, by your word. And I just pray that over them, Lord God, that on the days where they're weary, on the days where they're tired, the days when they don't see hope, God, that you will come and shine to them in a, in a really real and tangible uh, way. We pray for strength and encouragement and love um, and breakthrough in these incredible ministries that they're part of. We thank you for what you're doing and we pray uh, your peace and protection over them.
3: In the great name of Jesus Christ, God's people said, amen. 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 One last thing. Pastor Charles.
1: We want to thank you. On behalf of our church here, we want to give you a love offering for you to use as needed in your ministry. Thank you. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you. And in case um, you weren't here, were you guys here five years ago? Man, it's been too long. In case you've not met the Armstrongs before, I want you to know something really cool, which I'm grateful to the elders, some big changes we made three and a half years ago. If you've ever put a single dollar in the bucket at the back, you have already supported the Armstrongs, you just hadn't met them yet, okay? Our missionaries are baked into our budget, and so thank you for your faithfulness and giving. I neglected to mention earlier the online ways to give and all that jazz, but if you took the Armstrongs to Leatherby's, for example, I'm sure the Lord would be honored with that as well. There are lots of ways to give, Praise the Lord. So say hi to them. They are wonderful people. We love you. Have a great week.